0: Hello and welcome back to the Break the Twitch podcast on minimizing distractions and doing more of what matters through minimalism, habits, and creativity. I'm your host, Anthony Ungaro. In podcast episode number 22, I'm chatting with Don Ball, the chief creative officer and co-founder of Fueled Collective, a network of co-working spaces spread across the Midwest. Don was truly at the forefront of the Minneapolis co-working scene back in two thousand nine before anyone knew what coworking really even was. He has a ton of experience to share in this area. We discuss a wide range of topics centered around creative habits and entrepreneurship, how Don fuels his writing, modern definitions of success, and what Don calls hustle porn, constant messages that if you're not working 16 hours per day, you're falling behind. You're going to love this episode and find lots of inspiration for your own entrepreneurship and creative pursuits. This podcast is brought to you by the Break the Twitch member community. The community has tools, strategies, and an amazing supportive community to help you remove distractions and do more of what matters in your life every single day. So visit breakthetwitch.com community to find out more about what is available and to join up to support the podcast. But for now, let's start the show. So, Don, how's it going today? Today's just great. What are you up to? Oh, what am I up to? I mean, what like, at what level should should I answer <laughs> that question? You know? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of different levels for that question. Um, but uh, let's see, what are we up to this week? This week, I am writing a lot of copy
1: at work. And it's a, a co-working business, you know. We we started out it was a movement, now it's kind of a business, and uh, there's a lot of competition and it's just be it's become you know a tough game uh, and so I've been focusing on just writing all the content that we are using because we're finally professionalizing our marketing and creating what they call a full a full stack uh, or not a full stack a full a a, a, a full funnel approach and, and so you, you basically you're, you're you're writing lots of pieces you're you're writing lots of blogs and social posts and I'm kind of doing that which means I hide away for hours at a time uh, as I'm able to, um, and and try to just go back to being a writer, which is what I started doing in life. So if it's a week where I can do that successfully, then I feel really happy. Um, but if it's a week that gets cut up with lots of little meetings and stuff, then it, then it kind of makes me grouchy because, you know, it, it's that whole thing about, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's the managerial kind of schedule, you know, in which you're a manager, and that's basically your week cut into hour chunks. And it's all about just pretty much getting in touch with other people and coordinating and syncing up. Then there's a creator's schedule, which is really about having large chunks of time, you know, the whole morning, the whole afternoon, in which you are not sidetracked or interrupted. And you get to kind of go through the creative process, which I think a lot of people know is can be it's a very inefficient process. You know, you don't sit down and for for an hour and, and within five minutes you're in it. I mean, it might take you an hour to get into any kind of train of thought, uh, another hour to explore some bad ideas that ultimately don't help you, so that you can finally in your third hour get to, like, something that feels productive, and, and that's just how it is every time, it seems. Um, so you need a big window of time to indulge that process. So a well, long-winded answer to your question, that's what I've been doing, writing, um, and I think I had a pretty good week. I finished a white paper. Not white paper. It's kind of an ebook book um, that I'm writing for small businesses. Nice. Uh, and it's kind of the general idea is like, uh, what are all the things that nobody ever tells you and that you can't learn and, you know, you couldn't go to an entrepreneurial MBA program and figure out how to run some aspects of a small business. It just is like basically trial, trial by fire. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of writing about those things.
0: That's, that's awesome. Uh, we will definitely go back to the uh, beginnings of, of Coco at the time. Sure. Uh, but because you just mentioned this, and I find it fascinating, you mentioned that the creative process yeah. takes a couple hours, and that's been my experience. Like, it never goes well in the first 15 yeah, minutes. You sort of, yeah, you that too. Yeah, you sort of have to get in the zone or yeah. into this flow state. Mm-hmm. What is that? look like for you how do you zone in is are is there an environment that works well or what is it that works for you? yeah,
1: well, I, you know okay,
0: so now' now we're gonna uncover another
1: another i'm just, I'm gonna touch on something else which could be another rabbit hole, but it, it one is I don't think it's formulaic I, I don't know if it should be formulaic like where you find your one thing and it's that way every time you may find that you know for two days a certain approach works fine and then you got to switch it up and go do something different and so I think uh, that's one thing to notice. like I, I can tell you what maybe generally works for me, but, but I guarantee you, I'll try it tomorrow and it will go south, you know, and I'll have to do something different. Um, but I have an internal locus of control. And this is, this will explain a whole bunch that I say the rest of the, the rest of the podcast. In other words, I do not do well applying external structures to my life and mm-hmm. how I live it. Um, I generally kind of gotta go with how I feel and what my gut is. And like, so when I think about, okay, it's, you know, it's Monday morning. I have, and I think tomorrow I've got the most of the day free. So I I face this question like, well, what do you want to do? Well, some self-care is important too. So I don't get up at eight o'clock. I mean, I probably get up at nine and, and, and I prioritize feeling as rested as I can. So, um, I, I, maybe I get up at nine o'clock. I have some coffee. I, you know, look through Reddit maybe, you know, and that's some of my favorite subs there. And and I just kind of like take it easy. I don't kill myself. Then I go take a shower and I think about where am I going to go. Now, if, I, if I'm if i writing, here's, you know, this is, like, this is like the dirty secret, uh, of, of which I've affirmed with other co-working space owners, is that when you really have to focus, you don't go to your own space. So I don't have a membership in another space, although that might be an option, but I generally will hit a coffee shop. Um, and And that's because they're, you know – uh, if I go to one of our spaces, odds are there's some people there who I've been dying to talk to and maybe have been eager to talk to me. And we just have a lot of conversations and I don't get my stuff done. And mm-hmm. then I get in trouble later. So, you know, cause I have other people depending on me, like get your stuff done so the designer can do her stuff and we can get photos and, you know, we have a schedule we're trying to hit. So I'll go to the, the coffee shop that has the mood that I need that day. And, and and I might buy myself a nice drink so I can settle into that. So it's mm. it, it would look like if from the if you were an observer, you'd say like this guy's really kind of lazy and is is just kind of has this self indulgent you know kind of schedule. But mostly, what I think what I'm managing and rather intuitively is energy. You know, just like my 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 positive attitude. And if I can get if I can you know create and maintain that positive state, then I. You know, my, my experience has been that I get some good stuff out of that. I get some good writing. And then there's also just occasional, there's just accidental things that happen in that process of that day. Like, uh, there's been some days where I said, no, I'm not actually going to go to the, I'll go to the Art Institute, and and I know that I'll get a charge by just taking a run through the, you know, the yeah. their, their modern painting section. That's like a, that's a thrill ride for me. So I might do it that day, because that's just kind of what I need, and then I'll go hang out in their little cafe down there. Mm-hmm. Um so all I have to say is like, uh, I don't even know how we got here, but but that that idea of a creator's schedule um, is is almost naturally idiosyncratic and um, and it might look self-indulgent hmm. from the outside because it isn't just like you know nose to the grindstone kind of uh, process.
0: Yeah, your words are igniting something in me right now, <laughs> and uh, I've really been struggling with what you're talking about. Hmm. Right now, in the sense of, uh, I've I know that I work best within a self care first, which is yeah. the, the the word now. Self care is the I know, word now, I know. And, and that's but it's real, right? And yeah. And I've always been like a when I have the energy, then I do my best work. Right. And it's hard to be there if you're not taking care of that, mm-hmm. you mentioned it's like that inner, that fire, right? That keeping it stoked, keeping yeah. it uh, keeping it going. Um, and that's something I've been struggling with is like, schedule the things. Like, go out, do other stuff. It's so easy as an entrepreneur, especially to just let the thing you're doing consume the days, and then you're mm-hmm. feeling like, why am I not outputting as much as I should be? And yeah. there, beco- there becomes all these questions of like, am I... It goes down a weird for me too of like, am I ever going to be able to do as much as I feel like I need to do? And is this moving fast enough and all these things. And, uh, and I always have to return to when I'm energized, when I'm around that energy, when I'm taking care of those things, the other stuff, happens when i go to a coffee shop when i get the things yeah done. yeah um, what you mentioned about the the being in your own co-working space as well is like i'm guilty of that like whenever i see you i'm like done like i want to well, yeah, see you absolutely. and, and it's a good. And... it's a really good thing there's yeah, nothing wrong with that it's totally. just that, like if
1: what you really need to be doing is you know trying it's to down. get yeah. yeah you know and 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 it's different for everybody but yeah if you if you kind of have some things some deadlines you know and mm-hmm. it's it's funny because there's um the there's kind of like a. I guess it would be a corollary, but but there's an opposite, you know, train of thought on the creative process that some writers and some novelists, you know, will, um, people who really write significant amounts will talk about, and that's just like, just get up and fucking write. You know what I mean? Like, you just have, you, you, yeah. you get up in the morning and you write, it's not, it's not about, it's not... This isn't about cultivating preciousness, you know, and being like, "Oh, well, you know, if if my mood's right and the stars align, then I'll be able to write," you know. And I get that too. That's, I mean, that's a real thing, you know. Is like just produce, but I think that maybe is a little more. Um, I don't know. I haven't maybe I haven't examined too much like why. I'm I might be somewhere in in the middle there, but I'm really I'm I'm happy with where I've arrived at how I manage that stuff, and and what happens is, is you know when you can hit when you can hit a state of, you know, flow where you just like, all right, you know, you've got the energy, the ideas, you've 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 found like whatever the righteous nugget is within the thing you're trying to write about. And you're saying like, okay, this this is a gem because it's it there's so many there's so much I can do with this raw idea that I have. I can take it in this direction in that direction. Then you you know you've uncovered something that's really got some, you know, it's got some legs. And then, and, you, and you're and you in a good state to to carry through with that. Um, I found that I can do three days' worth of work in and, and one day when I find that. And so I think that's part of what the process is that, that I'm cultivating um, and maybe that a lot of us cultivate is, like, you're trying to get to that state where, like, you're on fire and you can just crank out some good stuff. And it's got, you know, and there's a lot of power in the writing. You know, you feel like you are speaking to people. And... You know,
0: it's like it's it's elusive, but it's like you're ever in search of that.
1: Yeah, of that moment.
0: Yeah, that it that is a concept so important to me that l- literally that's what all of Break the Twitch is about is achieving creative flow. Mm. Now I talk about minimalism, mm-hmm. r- removing distractions, that's mm-hmm. clearing out clutter. Yeah, habits is the showing up every day, putting the boat in the water, and hoping for a wind. Yeah, but that third element of creativity and exploring what it means to create. Yeah, uh, is Seeking creative flow. And the, the times that I've seen that the most personally are when I was writing my book, which was an incredibly, incredibly difficult thing for me. Mm-hmm. And I had all kinds of distractions going on, and I was trying to sit down and write, and I'd get three or 400 words out. My developmental editor would be like, eh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> yeah, wow. And then uh, I would go to a coffee shop. I would use some browser plugins to block everything. I'd turn off my internet. I'd let that first half an hour of just kind of thrashing against it a little bit, just kind of, uh, we're we're going. But then as soon as it hit, I'd I'd do like 2,500 words in two hours. Wow. And my dev- I had a very direct feedback loop uh, from my editor, and and she'd always say like those days. Like this is your best. It's cohesive. It it flows from one end to the, to the next, and I didn't improve as a writer day to day. Interesting. Um, it was those days that I allowed myself to get deep into that place where the words, the process, just came through me. It was it was amazing. And so I've been obsessed with this idea of achieving creative flow, yeah. as, as much as possible. Well, you're. T-
1: I mean, that's interesting. You said so. I hadn't improved as a writer, which which, if what you're describing is something that I've. Always noticed and have envied in in really great writing is that great writers are great thinkers, you know. Um, that, that it's it's the addition, it's the additional thinking power, the insight, the ability to discern or you coalesce ideas that are not obvious to mere mortals. That's what makes a great writer. And then, of course, to be able to put some words around it. But but if it was just good words well then whoever is the greatest stylist wins you know just you know and, and it isn't that way it isn't just that you can put these words together it's really like the power of the thought behind it and mm. and so so when you think about getting into a flow state like what we just each described you on those with with this work that you're turning into an editor and and me with these days where i could do you know three days of writing in one and it's good it's powerful is like that's a, i think it was maybe more the process of getting to the, that deeper well of of thinking and the ideas, you know. Mm. And then the the words are just there to help you convey it. But you had to get into that. You had to get into that, you know, whatever that territory is that, that that you know on your weaker days you can't get there. But somewhere in the mountains there's a there's a little hidden valley, you know, and when you can get into that you've yeah you find gold. Totally. hundred percent. To, to stretch the metaphor <laughs> to know. keep going. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I always think of
0: it like the the Sisyphus, but a little different like every day I'm, I'm trying to push this boulder up over a hill. And, you know, as long as I can get it to the peak through that, that blank page syndrome of sitting there staring at a blank page, not knowing what to quite write about, through that discomfort, mm-hmm. as long as I can push it over the top, some days there's going to be a nice long hill for it to roll down on the other side. Other days it's just going to kind of but, you know, <laughs> it, but you got to push it up to there to find mm-hmm, out. And, mm-hmm. and that's what my experience has been uh, that's interesting. over
1: and over and over. It's right. a good metaphor because it, it has built into it, of course, the fact that, you know, the boulder will come back downhill. It's just yes. whether it's the hill you were just pushing up or it's the other side, you know. Exactly. But either way, it's coming down. It's know? coming down one way or the <laughs> other,
0: especially, you know, even thinking about like weeds and flowers on your way up. If you yeah. see, you know, you, you see something, you're like, oh, I got to grab yeah. that you pick a flower and that thing goes back down so it it, it's like really being in that zone and that focused place that gets you up there Mm -hmm. that's how it's been for me too and I'm it's interesting hearing your own experience with that because it's it's something that's been so fascinating
1: to me yeah yeah yeah. but it's really worthy you know it's it's kind of uh, I, I mean I sure I'm I'm a business owner but now that I'm doing what I'm doing in service of that business is on the creative side of things and it's and it's kind of a it's a familiar territory I also paint or I used to paint and I am thinking of coming back to it so that's another thing where there's a it has its own creative process but it's very much like it fits the same pattern um even though it's a different discipline Mm -hmm. so so I'm I guess my, my my thought is that like this is a this is something that rings true across different different endeavors so I'm kind of I'm I'm believing it right now, that this that, you know the creative process and it, it's a it's a thing to be respected and 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 a thing to really you know kind of apply your time working on.
0: Let's let's step back a little bit mm-hmm. and talk a little bit about what was uh, initially Coco co working, and what hit you, the moment, if there was like something that really drove you. Because I'll have to say personally, Coco and now Fueled Collective has been a really big part of my own story uh, in doing something different. Yeah. In in exploring entrepreneurship, uh, exploring what a different kind of career path could be. Yeah. And so I have my own kind of experiences through that. But I would love to hear what inspired you in a time when Sort of call it the sharing economy mm-hmm. was young, pretty pretty yeah. young. This was a pretty new thing. What inspired you to create a place like Coco, and and what were you looking to do with it?
1: It was scratch, you know, it was scratching a personal itch first. I'd say that um, I had just come off of about four years of working from a home office, although I had two other business partners. Um, and they, but they were in other, they were in other locations, so I, it was me working alone a lot of days, and 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 then and then some days that was great, you know. I mean, like, I, I'm I'm an introvert. I don't necessarily on every day want to go and see a bunch of people. Um, but then there were days in which I definitely needed the input and I needed the socializing, and and only going to the occasional like meetup or conference or something like that doesn't quite satisfy that. Um, Definitely conferences, no, because a lot of that would have been, you know, back when I was, you know, in kind of in the marketing business, um, most of that was like listening to people who seemed like uber successful describe their great lives, and I would just feel like a, you know, like a total, you know, a schnook, you know, like I got nothing going on in my life compared to that, you know, they're wealthy, they're all, all that stuff, and and, and so th- that just invited me to compare, and that did not turn out well, and and then my interactions and in the... In the in the, in the hallway time between sessions because I didn't know anybody. So I didn't really have great interactions with people. So basically, I just was like a, a you know, felt like a wallflower. And, and so conferences never went well for me. Mm-hmm. The change for that was uh, when Michael Roventine did put together, uh, well, not him, also, also um, Rick Mann started it and then Michael took over, but uh, Social Media Breakfast, mm-hmm. um, which is how I met my now wife. Uh, which is how I met a lot of people. It actually has really turned out to be responsible for a lot of contacts I have in the world. Uh, Patrick Roan, I met him through that. Oh, cool. Um, met Phil Wilson through that. It's kind of the gift that keeps on giving. Well, th- what that taught me was that you can get to know a lot of people from the comfort of your home on social media. You know, like we all had our Twitter handles. And this was early Twitter days, so so it was really exciting that. That through something like Twitter, and I would not say the same of that platform now or social media in general, like we can have a social media, you know, tirade later. But in those early days, it was the idea that like, wow, you can connect across socioeconomic status, you can go across, you know, like kind of a success spectrum. If there's a favorite author you have who's on Twitter, you could actually ring them up and have a conversation with them, which was just astonishing. Mm-hmm. um that suddenly you had this like mobility social and professional mobility that you never had before and so suddenly like you can circumvent that situation of going to a conference and what happened was that I went to a conference and I knew everybody already right and 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 so it was really just a matter of like oh you're so and so on twitter how you doing like you know you you're, you have friends already without even having met them physically that was exciting that was super heady and so when I saw the coworking thing, what, what it made me think was it was, it was like that experience, but all the time, you know, it was like the, the social media meetups, but it's happening every day of the week. And, and so, so I heard there was half, I heard that there were people in town who were, who were interested in the coworking space. They had a little like wiki page, but no one had done anything yet. And, and then, um, it was a weird confluence, like, it was a Wednesday that I met up with, you know, my my business partner Kyle Coolbroth. We we met for lunch. We hadn't talked in like four years, and we were taught. We came back to this idea we had had four years ago, which was gonna be for like a, it was gonna be like a offsite meeting kind of location where people where teams could come and and we would have like a little cafe on the side, and we would have, you know, this like kind of a black box theater that we could reset mm. by day part so that like you know you could have different activities by day and the and the sets would be would would change to accommodate that and even part of that we'd say like yeah well what if we also invited various people to come and hang out and they could be a resource you know they could be like people who could be brought in to help with the meeting and so we were ta- we were knocking on that kind of co-working door without even knowing it so we meet on a wednesday in 2009 in november uh, in october and 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 we came back to the idea, and I said, "Well, have you heard of this co-working thing?" And he's like, "That sounds really interesting." And so we just left the conversation and we're like, "Oh, that's kind of cool. You know that would that's kind of like what we we're talking about, but but more. And that Friday, somebody posts a thing. It was Zach Steven. He was putting together a uh, a co-working experiment. and it was at crema cafe in uh, in South Minneapolis where they make Sunny's ice cream. okay. So apparently like in the winter, they're not open because nobody wants ice cream. But they still have a whole cafe and everything, and so he cut a deal. And said, "Look, um, each like each Monday of, of November, we're gonna bring a bunch of people, and will you make us lunch, and we can we hang out for the day, and and serve us coffee, and we'll each pay you so much." So we just all paid a subscription to hang out there, all the Mondays of November two thousand nine. Well, we went to that, and it was like a who's who now of people who are in kind of like tech and creative and 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 and. And they were just all there because they wanted to be around other interesting people. Mm-hmm. And it was really, it was like, it was successful from the first minute. Like everybody was excited to be in the same room. We had, there was amazing conversations and connections and people meeting other. So it was really, it was, you know, if you think back to that time, it was all the, all the dopamine that you were getting off of like, you know, being on Twitter and then meeting people who you follow on Twitter. And, 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 um, so by the th- Third Monday, Kyle and I had already cooked up a plan and presented it to everybody, and and so part of that include we had we we had to go talk to um, the building owners uh, Jeff and Roger Hegard, who who are kind of minority partners in our business, and we talked we talked them into giving us a run with this because we knew they were sitting with an empty building in Lower Town, mm-hmm. and or large largely empty, and, uh, and we convinced them to like let us use the space and and pay for the heat. <laughs> there you go. and and so we were able to give it a run that way and so that we went we, we moved so fast on that which which i think is also like uh there's something instructive about that you know about doing less deliberating and more kind of like just chasing after it because it was uh basically we spent one month december of 2009 prepping the space we painted we built furniture one month wow um, yeah and then we opened in january and so it was really fast. We didn't even have time to kind of second guess. Um and I and I think there could have been if we'd really thought about it, there was a whole bunch of reasons not to do it. I mean, it it's it's
0: it's risky. So
1: yeah, so I guess that was uh that's how we got into it.
0: So you say there were a whole bunch of reasons not to do it. Obviously there were a bunch of reasons to do it. Did you go through any process to assess those or was it more based on a gut? It was a, a lot of gut,
1: because we just didn't know. We didn't know what could go wrong, we didn't know, you know, I mean, largely we, we given this, given the deal we cut with the heat guards, we probably could have walked away from it. So maybe we had that that, that you know if, if it hadn't worked, we'd all like go home and the heat guards would be like, well, we were dumb to do that. you know they would have been like, crap, we we for we for you know we we gave up rent and we paid a bunch of HVAC for 6 months or whatever and we'll never see that again. But that was the risk they took as investors. So anyway, so you know, it was kind of in the first months were hard because um we we, we had a hard time attracting members because nobody ever like had co-working as a thing that they paid for. So you have to convince somebody that hey, there's this new category that you need to spend on and they're like I'll just go to a coffee shop, you know, and they're like well, this is different than that. You know, so we, we had to do a lot of cajoling and convincing um and and it's a it's a noteworthy thing that uh, a year and a half later, so Jan- uh, July August of uh, twenty ten. No, twenty ten we opened. So July August of twenty eleven, we opened the grain uh, on the Grain Exchange in Minneapolis, mm-hmm. which was a big space and a big lease. You know, what I mean, like they had a lot of zeros on that on that lease. And you know, and the way leases work is, if the business doesn't work, you don't just get to walk away. You made a personal guarantee on that lease, so they're going to want the entire. Lease, you know, so it's five years. It's like take monthly rent times, times 12 times five, and that's what you owe them. And, and so it's a personal disaster if you don't make good on that, you know, unless you declare bankruptcy, which I suppose is an option. But um, so there was a lot of zeros on that, on that lease, even though now I look back and I go, that was a sweetheart lease. I mean, like it, we got a good price on that thing, but it was a lot for us at the time. And, at, and then, you know, in that July when we signed on that, we only had 35 paying members. Over in St. Paul. And and now some said, yeah, the minute you open Minneapolis, you know, we're we're coming. But we didn't know if that would really work. So that forced us to, to really sell hard and try to pre-sell into Minneapolis and you know just do everything we could to 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 populate that. But basically on the first day though, because none of the the furniture that you would see now if you went there that occupies about two-thirds of the space was set up yet. It was just up on the upper deck. So this is what's our co-working commons now. Um, that was the only place that had any furniture. The rest was a big empty. And so that was a little bit, that was like a visual reinforcement of like, you know, this might not work. Like you could, you might not ever populate the rest of this gigantic space. Um, so I don't know. It's easy to look back now and just, you know, and kind of go like, uh oh, remember how scared we were, you know, but um, there, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it, it it it's weird because it's almost like you have to keep ratcheting up you know i mean like we're looking at a, we're looking at, at a new lease now on a new space and it's the biggest one we've ever looked at it it's got yet more zeros you know and 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 but but the nature of the whole endeavor now is that you can't you can't you can't succeed by shrinking you actually have to go bigger and bigger with it and you know which means you're investing more in the space and the build out and the fit and finish and um because that's what competition is broad is like everything's getting nicer and nicer and and more well-appointed and they're nicer spaces you're not you're not taking you know like uh just taking an old brick and timber warehouse that you can get for cheap isn't quite cutting
0: it that feeling uh let's say when you signed that uh, lease. So the, the first agreement in St. Paul was like kind of a, like you said, it was kind of a let's try this out sort yeah, of thing. Yeah. But let's just say that that first signing of the lease at the at the Grain Exchange, which mm-hmm. is a beautiful building. And that's actually where I started out yeah. uh, going when, when I was attending events and doing things there. And that was just a, a wondrous sort of building. I mean, it's such an incredible uh, place to be for this. But when you signed that, and you, how would you compare that feeling compared to like the next one and then compared to, like you said, it goes up and up and up. Is it always scary? How did that feeling change? Every new lease can sink
1: you, you know, like if you, if you really pick the wrong location, it could be, it could be enough that you, you know, that failure in that area eliminates all your margins and then starts, starts putting you into the red. And that's just enough. Then, then all sorts of other things happen after that. You know, you can't, you can't afford to invest in this you might have to cut your staff there's like you know it's kind of like a you the, the boulder starts tumbling down the hill that you were just pushing it up and so there is always a risk but but part of it it seems like i'd say for us we're always fueled sorry for the pun but we're always motivated by we have a bold idea we want to chase after and in this case now with our you know with our new location we would be building it out in the full model of the of the new field collective, which you know. Um, so there's this prototype location in Cincinnati that kind of that we've been running for about a year, mm-hmm. and it, it it is really more the new model we're heading towards. You know, you walk in, and there's your your you know there's this beautiful reception desk with like it's like um, leather upholstery around the you know it's it's like a, um, you feel like you've walked into like a British social club maybe. There's you know there's like whole wall of book of like antique books you know there so you it's a very it's a very lush kind of um, t- high, colorful and textured setting there's a bar over to the right you know with like mirrored walls and and all the drink you know all the bottles stacked up it looks very pretty mm-hmm. and that's the co-working commons I'm like that's where people hang out during the day mm-hmm. but then at 4:30 at night the bartender comes on and they, and starts slinging cocktails and it turn, and it and you're running a social club as well so it's kind of, and then and there's a lot of, um, but there, it was designed, the space was designed so that you can actually have a lot of uh, event and meeting and entertainment business selling to the outside, but it doesn't disrupt the people who are there as members. Cool. And that's been a problem, f- you know, it has been kind of a challenge for us with our current spaces is like, yeah, we can have this big event, but it disrupts everybody who's there to work. And so you're you're kind of like, although you see the revenue potential and even have a need, you you you're you're at cross purposes, and that's and space design is a big factor in that. So now we're designing spaces to allow us to play kind of both ends, you know, selling to the outside but also catering to the inside. Anyway, so that's kind of what we're looking, and, and we're excited about that, and we can see the potential. Cincinnati's been killing it um, in ways that we wish we could. So mm. that's and with all the competition, you know, we're going like okay, just plain old co working is becoming commoditized really fast, and it's not. You know, I wouldn't say I would say by itself, it's not a great business. Hmm. It's 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 a rent arbitrage scheme, you know. You you get a lease for for a certain amount and then you hope you can get your 20% on that. But when everybody else is there and some well-funded, well-heeled competitors are are offering discounts, that becomes a very hard game to win at. Yeah. So you have to have another plan. So we're excited about the other plan and the space that lets us do that, but it's gonna come at a at a high cost, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But if we don't do it, we're in trouble. So like, so it's kind of like, you know, it, I don't know. You're on the burning pier. What are you going to do? You're going to jump into this new thing, you know?
0: Yeah, you're going to get in that water. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's a big one. I, I've always wondered if, if the fear changes because for me with uh, doing video work, I've experienced this like start out with a little point and shoot then you get a canon dslr and you have work up to a certain level with that and then uh and then all of a sudden there become everything beyond that it starts adding zeros to the yeah. cost of the production to the cost of the equipment to the cost yeah. of what you're doing um and and uh that continually is it doesn't seem like it goes away i don't know every time i'm kind of like whoa like this is the next thing or yeah. this is the the next push and in if you want to grow if you want to continue building something that matters to you it's like i don't know it feels like maybe this is just how it's going to be it's just going to yeah. be a little scary every time and it's going to be a little risky every time and we're going to keep reinvesting in in doing this and i don't know that's been our that's been my experience over the last several years it's it's uh fascinating didn't expect it it's possible
1: it. doesn't go away right because yeah. at some
0: point let's say it's are the big risk isn't the
1: equipment it's now staff you're Mm -hmm. gonna hire somebody you know and um, and that first hire is like a nail-biter you know because there's just all sorts of feelings that go around that Um, sure the second one is maybe easier and the third one's easier it becomes more of a you know you're adding one piece to a a larger thing but but now you have a thing an an abstract concept called payroll that scares you every two weeks, you know? Um, it's not any one person, but it's the accumulation of them all. Mm-hmm. And, and if you want to do this next thing, you might be having to actually staff up quite a bit. So I, I once talked to um, Mark Stutrud, who's the, the, hmm. the, the founder of Summit okay. Brewing, and, and, and it w- the conversation was about, well, what do you think, um, how do you feel about all these newcomers, you know, like Surly, for instance. At that time, Surly was just, they were up in their Brooklyn Park location, but they were still, you know, making a lot of noise. And, and he was like, well, it's like, sure, you know, they're, they're, getting, they're getting a lot of attention, but we're at, worried at about like, you know, he described something like where at each stage of that business, there's a new plateau you have to get to. And it has to do with brewing capacity in that case. So you've got, you've got, and they, they had a good sized brewery for a while in uh, like Midway area, and then they jumped and they had to take a big jump to their facility they have now over, over off of uh, West 7th. Mm-hmm. But what it is, is you don't just like, you don't increase your capacity by 50%. You might increase it by a thousand percent because you need to set yourself up for 10 years, not just the next two. And it's, so you're making a gigantic investment. You have to hope that you can sell into that, Mm -hmm. that you, that all those, you know, you're paying for so much equipment and, and you have to hope that you, and so in addition to that, you're gonna now spend way more on marketing and advertising than you did before, just so that you can keep those tanks full so it's like it's risky, and if that didn't work out, they'd be gone. They would have folded. So it is a bet the company. Like every single time you try to get to the next plateau, yeah, you are kind of betting everything. Mm-hmm. So that, that kind of just struck me. And the reason he brought that up, he said, "Sure, Surly will, you know, like or any other newcomer, they will have to play the same game we did." And he said, "And it's not easy for everybody. Everybody has to get from one plateau to the next. Mm-hmm. So you, they, you know, Surly couldn't overnight take over Summit's business." they couldn't. They'd have to go through that whole ratcheting up. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't know what the lesson of that is, except that like, I think it, I I think this, this uh, dynamic just exists in most businesses. Mm -hmm. If you want to kind of stay in it Mm -hmm. (laughs) for any like the time.
0: Yeah. Uh, I guess modern capitalism in a way, like if there's a market segment where there's opportunity and there's uh, arbitrage opportunity, as, as you called it. Uh, that will, the market will evolve and move into that space until it opens up a new space mm-hmm. and then it evolves. And it's, it's uh, throughout the internet too. It's like uh, on YouTube, I, at one point, I think was one of maybe like two or three guys on YouTube talking about minimalism. Really? Yeah. Like it was a pretty open space and now it's becoming something that is bigger and bigger and bigger. And now I'm not saying, oh, I was a pioneer of minimalism. Like, no, there were people, uh, men and women, blogging about it, doing podcasts, different things for years. Mm -hmm. Like, when Mm -hmm. I was just figuring out, you know, I was in my teens, uh, just figuring out my my life. And uh, so, but in YouTube, there was that opening. Yeah. And I got a lot of early kind of attention, I think, because I was starting to talk about that. And it's weird because I was insecure about it. I was like in what way? I was thinking, why am I the one of the only guys on here talking about especially my brand of minimalism, which is the the practical, the the remove distractions. But if it's not in the way, like you're fine. You don't mm-hmm. need to have a mm-hmm. hundred items, right? That brand, like I was really one of the few people talking about it. And I felt insecure at the time. Like what's wrong here? You know, there are all these other very, you know, like younger or like very um, well put together uh, women talking about this. And like, I'm an odd duck here. And it was very strange. And now I realized that was my that was my opportunity. (laughs) Like that's where the niche opened up for me uh, to be talking about this stuff. And so, what seemed like a comparison thing, which yeah. is something I'm going to ask you about in a second, um, but what seemed like me comparing myself to people that I literally couldn't because they were of an, the opposite gender or they were, you know, doing their own brand of this stuff, was actually the open marketplace for me to be talking about this and and exploring a new place. That's and, interesting, and you didn't you didn't see it at the time. No, no, I felt like man, they're making such beautiful videos. They're so much all better looking than me. (laughs) Like I'm just, you know, you know, whatever. And, and YouTube is a face forward thing. And I always wondered like, I wonder how that's affecting things. And I I was never bitter about it. It's just, I, it, it only made me a little insecure about my potential or my future. And, and so looking back now, I can safely be like, well, there's nothing to be insecure about or Worry about. You're just doing your own thing, and you're creating this sort of space here. Yeah. Um. And so that's that's part of what I wanted to ask about is, uh, what might you offer? Let's just say, um, someone's starting out in entrepreneurship, in they're creating something new. What would you offer in terms of advice around comparison?
1: Well, I I think I've always been only because. I'm not much of a crowd follower. In fact, crowds really, you know, I'm I'm showing my Gen X stripes here. The minute something becomes kind of pervasive, then I don't want any part of it. Like, I really have this, like, you know, my wife will tell me that, like, I'm just a snob, and and that might be true at some level, but but I'd like to think there's something else going on that I just have an aversion to being in a herd. Hmm. It just gives me the creeps, and and I want to, if I'm gonna. I want to be thinking and writing and creating or just, I just want to be kind of going somewhere else for some reason. And um, I guess, it, you know, the worst is like, you know, the minute a band becomes popular, like suddenly you're like, now I'm not into them anymore. <laughs> but it, it's not that. It's more like I just <laughs> don't want to be competing with a lot of other voices or a lot of, you know, I, I just, because that's hard work. I, like something, in, something, there's something instinctive for me that, that, that tells me that that's that's a tough road to go, and then try to slog it out with a bunch of other people being the same. Mm-hmm. So, you know, does that mean just like, yeah, be different, be glad you're different? But that's a little too easy. So, when I I just had a conversation with a, a young fellow who is starting a, a clothing company that has a particular take on it, and we were talking about um, he was out of St. Thomas, so so you know, in his case. Anybody coming out of St. Thomas in entrepreneurship is looking at the Love Your Melon people, you know, because that just that thing just went nuts, and and the conversation was about like, well, you know, it's when you're younger or there's a certain stage in which it's easier to be a disruptor, because you're you're somehow tapped into the zeitgeist, you know, you got you just have this sense of like, in his case, you know, if it's fashion and it's youth culture, he's 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 able to like. He's in it. He's breathing it. It's it, He's super tapped in. Well, that becomes a little bit harder because give him 10 years with that thing and, if, and, and, and a modicum of success, and suddenly he's spending a lot more time thinking about things like, oh, we have to find a cheaper manufacturer for this, or these zippers aren't available. Crap, what do we do? Or I'm having staff troubles, you know? Um, the, the person who's running the shipping department has been, you know, I don't know, roping the staff now. I have a, now. I have a harassment issue. Like you, you have all those other things that are occupying your time. You don't have as much time to just sit there and filter feed the culture and to and to stay in tune. Now, occasionally you'll see people who just have a genius for never losing their grip on that, and that's that's a real gift. But so I was I was just thinking about like so when you're younger, not exclusively, but kind of when you have nothing to lose, then you're in a good position to basically be yourself and because what's the worst that happens nobody pays attention or nobody follows but you haven't you haven't lost anything
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's, it's as you go along further you have more sunk costs and you have more it seems like you have more at stake including what this thing that you might call your your reputation or your or your brand that you think you've developed I'm cautious about giving advice to younger people because I think like you know being older myself i feel like i'm i'm concerned with different matters now mm-hmm. um, and also being in a, in kind of an at the mature in kind of the more mature state of a business um, i'm thinking about different things so yeah i don't know i guess the best it, i i it, it would be easier for me to answer that question if maybe in six months my business shows me the door and says, hey, we don't need you anymore. Get out of here. You know, and then suddenly I'm on the street and I'm going like, well, OK, what do I do? And who am I? And how is how is that relevant to what's going on in the world? And, and what if I say, like, OK, I'm going to I'm going to do what Anthony does. and I'm, I'm going to start, you know,
0: podcasting or vidcasting or something like that. Well, then I, I'm, I'm facing that question. It is fascinating. Uh the idea of standing out, like you were kind of mentioning, the the just the concept of I don't want to be in a crowded room. Like yeah, I, I, I wanna be able to be in a space where you can flourish and and we'll talk more about that in a second. But uh it is fascinating. Uh I always wanted to blend in. Uh growing up in mm. school, I just wanted to be accepted. I wanted to be a part of the group, I wanted to be just in the community, Mm -hmm. um, didn't want to stand out. As soon as I got older and I started applying to colleges, to jobs, starting things that required attention, people's attention to to start, all I wanted was to stand out for once. (laughs) And that transition of realizing, like, I've spent so much of my life just wanting to fit in, to just blend in and not stand out, Of this group Uh, that was a lot of effort (laughs) that went into training my brain to just want to be accepted be there instead of literally like doing the things that often made me a little goofy a little strange maybe but were things I was interested in and would just now make me stand out the things that I a lot of the things I do now taking a lighter approach to this personal development stuff like it's, it can be so serious, you know, but, but taking a lighter, goofy approach to it, because we, we all need to kind of let go of a little bit of this and like, yeah, laugh at ourselves and be willing to get into this. And, and maybe that's what helps me stand out now. But it's not that like, but is it going to make people question my reputation? Like, like, will I be taken seriously as someone who cares about habits and, you know, these things? I don't know. But, but uh, it's just that shift has been such a huge one, realizing that we're taught, basically, in school to just fit in. Like, find your oh, stuff. Oh, absolutely. Like, We're taught to be good little the... capitalist, uh, you know, mm-hmm. enablers, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, to because our, what's our what's our job? And this is this is a, well, let's not get on this pet peeve, but w- what, what's our job, right? To produce. And so we measure everything on how much we produce. Mm-hmm. You know, we measure basically going to high school and college is kind of like just demonstrating that you know how to fit in and follow instructions. Mm-hmm. So f- toward what end, right? So you can be accepted by some employer who will give you a job and it's just kind of like on and on and on. So yeah, standing out is is like not economically healthy for most people in in most of their situations and but suddenly you're trying to garner attention from out out in the wild. yeah, it's standing out but but you know at what cost, right? you know, do you want to stand out? Do you want to stand out for being yourself or for being some, you know, some persona that's not yourself? Acting aside, I mean, there's, there's some people who are really good at creating personas and and characters and playing them, and they're very well aware that that's a character, and then they step away from the camera or the microphone, and they are different, you know, a largely mm-hmm. different person. The, char- the, the the persona comes from somewhere inside them, but they're clear that it's not them. But I'd say in, in this endeavor, you know, of like your podcasting, you're pretty much you're bringing yourself to this game, like you know, and like and the real Anthony's like some kind of you know crazy drug-addled kind of dude, but but you're you're a centered, stable human being, and you seek a certain kind of centeredness, and you're and I think you're advocating for centeredness and mm-hmm. all that stuff. So it makes sense that you wouldn't act outside that central drive of yours. That you know, mm. you're who you are as a as a human. So, getting attention and in some ways, you go, well, that's kind of it. that's kind of at cross purposes or that's like not true to who you even are. You're not mm-hmm. just like you're not gonna you're not gonna do something gimmicky right um it, it, it so instead, getting attention might mean like actually getting more vulnerable and saying things that you are loath to admit you know when now you're gonna do it in front of thousands of people yeah, um but why because it actually deepens the authenticity and draws people and draws more people, you know. And, and I think we know some folks in town, like I think like Nora, Nora Permort, who like is, you know, she's super vulnerable and it's drawn a lot of people to her. Mm-hmm. Like that's – folks are eating that up, you know. It's, it's kind of like vulnerability plus craft, you know what I mean? Like I think you have to turn it – from just being self-confession into something that other people can take and run with and, and be constructive with. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. The thing about standing out, I, who knows, maybe I will be facing this down, you know, in the next year or two. Um, I'd be lucky if somehow we had a, some kind of successful exit, but, but odds are we'll, we'll be, you know, we'll be working hard. So I will not be on the street anytime soon, but I, if something in me craves that in the near future, I want to actually kind of set out and, and, create a new chapter um and I'm not sure exactly what form that'll take but mm-hmm. i but i'm I, I'm kind of looking forward to that that pit in your stomach kind of nervousness about okay now it's just me and do I have anything to say that anybody cares about and is it something that's true to me or is that, or am I or my you know or am I just kind of playing to some playing into some narrative that I think the world will accept about me mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm like I spent the last nine years saying, you know, writing and saying and, and speaking. And we did some podcasting for a while um, about small businesses and entrepreneurs and solopreneurs and all that kind of stuff. And I do have a super strong soft spot for people who are, you know, kind of out there hustling. Um, but I would have to give serious thought as to whether that's really what I would want to make my, you know, my calling card or my, my topic uh, that I want to camp around mm. in the future. Like I should at least ask the question, is that really, you know, is that, do you want to do that the rest of your life? Do you want to talk about that the rest of your life? Or is there, are there some other more important
0: things? Mm. Well, speaking about important things, yeah. um, y- you mentioned to me previously about focusing on the important things and and honing in, your information diet as it's come to be known yes <laughs> um, so I'm curious what does an information diet look like for you and and what purpose do you feel like it's serving you
1: yeah yeah well unfortunately right now it's not a great it's not a great diet um, like I, I waste too much time looking at things that I don't think are super productive not I don't want to be puritanical about this either because I don't it's it's just like I I don't take much pleasure in um, like Actual dietary asceticism, you know, like, rest- and I had a, I had a, my Peruvian aunt, and 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 th- those who might listen to this podcast who were around this summer and might have run into this aunt. Her, her she's my tía chauca, and she's taught me a lot about life, um, mostly from me visiting her for like you know month long visits to, to Lima, Peru, and and I, I would. I would just sit in the kitchen and help her cook or while talk, she'd just talk while she cooked or I, I would ride shotgun in her car when she went and ran errands all around the city and she would comment on like, you know, th- anything we passed or uh, like, I got such a great lesson in, in kind of how a Peruvian thinks about stuff. And one of the things she said to me, because I was there one trip and I was concerned about cholesterol. So I was like, no, Tia, I can't have that. I, I can't eat that because it has cholesterol. Go, oh, cholesterol. She says, she says, here's the problem with you Americans. She said, you're all, she said, it's your puritanical background, that the way you deal with problems is you use prohibition. You say like, nope, I can't have the, I have to shun the evil thing. I have to remove it from my life. So what do you want to prohibit these days? You know, is it gluten? Is it fat? At one time it was cholesterol. Um, Now it's carbs. And and so we, almost culturally as Americans, I think we tend to kind of try to cut out whole categories of things. And then we wonder why it's not sustainable, you know? Well, of course it's not, because it's not a mix. I think we crave variety. And the minute we try to, like, get rid of variety, it, it just doesn't set us up for success. So all that, a little, little side rant on the concept of a diet. But I would say if I looked at mine right now, yeah, I probably have too much junk food in there, um, which is which would probably be similar to my actual diet. <laughs> but I do have some cravings that I'm trying to, to spend some time indulging in. And and I'm all, and I also have some prohibitions, but they're they're kind of for a good reason right now. Like one of them one of the things I don't want to have in my info diet, which I'll, I'll just give you. Okay, so what is it? It's yeah. um I spend I probably spend too much time looking at Twitter, which is like a thief of joy because it's like where you find out what everybody else thinks and and then i don't know it just seems like or you try to like make little witty comments on things and and i don't i don't know if that's in the end really terribly helpful um i do have some subreddits that i follow and i like reddit in a general sense because i have been able to discover some really interesting things that i didn't that i wasn't aware of um but there's also just a crap loaded you know there's just so much junk in there so so we were talking about the idea of of excluding some things you know mm-hmm. and so despite my previous rant about not being too puritanical there's just some things i'm having almost an intuitive aversion to and I, and if i and if i look at what that is and i summarize it there's there's some there's a type of success porn that's really driving me crazy and i and i, and I see as being kind of damaging um and it's and it's really like these success stories as they get written up in the business press kind of adoring pieces about startup founders and the five things they do, you know, before breakfast every day. And, and, and and this is nothing new. I mean, I remember, um, uh, when I was younger, I hated men's magazines because they were all about like personal success and it was always recipe driven and like you know, lists of things that you aren't doing and that you should be. And and as I got older, I realized it was all bullshit. I mean, like, it was really like, no, shave however the hell you want to shave. There is no secret to shaving. And if you're not doing it, you're not damaging your skin for life. You know, if you don't feel like using shaving cream, just take a, a, a dry, you know, razor and <laughs> go do it. Who cares? You know, like none of this stuff matters. But yeah, I think, and now as an old guy, I look back and go, yeah, a lot of people in their 20s and into their 30s are so concerned with how should I be doing things and how are others doing things. And now I look back and I go like, doesn't matter. Nobody Mm -hmm. cares. Just do things the way you want to do them, you know. But but, so in the business world, you get the same thing, you know. Like everybody's concerned about like, you know, so-and-so's rules for success. I'm like, screw so-and-so. Like find your own path, you know. Find your own way. Make your own mistakes. Mm -hmm. Um, And don't be so worried about recipes because there aren't any. There really aren't. I mean, lightning strikes, I think, a lot of successes. There's a lot of people who are working very hard and very disciplined um, who are have not achieved any material success. And and so what are they? Did they did they get one of the ingredients wrong in the recipe? No, lightning just didn't happen to strike them. There's so much randomness in success. Um, there's also a lot of pre-gaming that happens with people's, you know, um, what would you say, uh, what Warren Buffett calls the, the, the genetic lottery, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, who the you're womb, born to, womb lottery or yeah, something, who yeah. you're born to and kind of what household you grew up in. So I, I'm really done with all this comparison and, 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 and fawning over people who have been successful in what has been really lottery conditions mm-hmm. in many cases. And, and, and mm-hmm. so likewise, I, I'm done with business books. I like, I, I, and I, have friends who read them and recommend them, and I want nothing to do with them because it's the same thing. It's formulas, 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 um, and I'm more interested in like finding uh, one is is coming up with my own definition of success and va- and like what it what makes us valuable as human beings, and it should not be our productive output mm-hmm. as measured by you know what revenue or how much we sold a company for that kind of stuff. Um, some of the most amazing people on earth are. Uh, for me, some of some of the people I value the most are destitute, like they are not super successful. They experience, you know, difficult times financially, and 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 that has no bearing on on the value of their their person, their their ideas, the, what it means to spend a couple hours in their company. Mm-hmm. So how about that stuff, right? Can we talk about that? That's that's a different kind of success porn, but like. You know, so I'm I'm really um, this, this has got to be cranky old man syndrome. I'm pretty sure, because I you know I'm, I'm a couple of years past past you know the big fifty, and and fifty I didn't care. I tried to ignore it, um, but now I've had time to think about it, and and I'm really, um, I'm I'm way, I'm finding myself way more interested in kind of quality of life as measured not by physical stuff, but like. Richness of your relationships, the richness of your thoughts, the 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 richness of your time as you get you get to spend it. So you know one of the things I've done, I've I've taken up a hobby which I'm and and I tell more people about it now, which is really funny. I don't know why, but I but I make a point of telling people that yeah, I build model tanks in my spare time. Um, And part of it is like because it's 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 a folly, you know, in, in the sense of like it's a it's a useless thing, it's a really pointless thing. Um, it's mostly just a thing you get to do with your hands and and while maybe I listen to podcasts or, or radio or, or music, but um, it also has its own little like uh, there's things you can do if you want to kind of have more fun with it. You can research your your the, the thing that you're building and try to find pictures and go like, oh so that's where that one thing goes you know um, you can try to um, do more to make it realistic, like with like painting and weathering. And so like somebody looking, they go, oh, wow. If, they, if you look up close, you're like, that really looks like it actually has, you know, I don't know, like been through the mud and, or it's it's in a, it's it's clearly like, um, you know, it's dusty, like it's in the desert. Anyway, so this kind of appeals to the historian side of me. I'm a big fan of history. So as opposed to advice books, I really like history books because in there is not, there, there may be advice. But there's all sorts. You have you have to earn it. You have to interpret a lot of things. So, th- this kind of appeals to that historical interest I have, um, and also it's just really again, it's purpose purposelessness uh, mm-hmm. is kind of uh, something that I like. Because you just it's, sorry, I, ca- I cannot tell you how my building you know uh, World War Two Italian tanks that that were in Tunisia, building models of those, I like. It has zero value to the world, but yet it's something that is, is bringing me a lot of, a lot of enjoyment.
0: You know so, some so of the, why? Some of, the, <laughs> some of the things i found I've found a correlation, and it's often the things that people say in response to that they'll say, "Wow, you have too much time on your hands." Mm. Uh, that are the things that, like you were saying, s- may seem purposeless that yeah. can provide some of the deepest. Flow, the deepest satisfaction, the deepest, just just having a thing that you do because you like it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, yeah. Why are we so hard on ourselves that we don't get to do things we like? Right. You know, I mean, that's like, if you think about it, this is just like, everybody is like mainlining the Protestant work ethic, that like, you are only as valuable as what you produce. And so therefore, you're not allowed to have too much time in your hands. You're not allowed to, it's a, it's a bad thing to... Indulge in some kind of like personal fascination that brings nothing to the world as far as yeah. we know now here's here's now here's the interesting part so um, my one of my strengths if I do the strengths finder is uh, input mm. and input means that like you you like you find all information or all kind of input valuable um, and and if someone with a high with with that strength tends to also be um, They could possibly be a collector now Collections. So it would seem like it 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 is not a good friend of the minimalist movement or vice versa, but yet what you know collections are basically like I I want to be surrounded by by all these things that kind of give me you know like stimulation, um and and the information side it's like I don't judge any information as being bad. In other words, I'll read I'll read this thing and I'll read that thing and like I kind of I want all that input. Because I don't know, and especially as a writer, I'm like, I almost take it as a challenge to find some like obscure and arcane fact that I gained from reading some goofy book, you know, that's already out of print, and then work it into my writing. Like, like it's like a personal challenge because part of it is like, and I have as a as like a business owner, I've been surprised how often something that seemed like it was really arcane and arbitrary and not and not super relevant became relevant later I was able to draw on that thing that I read with so so my reading is not defined by it by the utility of the subject matter you know because and that's one reason why the business books bother me because they're really trying to like just you know that you should only be reading about things that contribute to your success in your productivity in the world. And I'm like, no, how about mm-hmm. like let's read things, let's read about you know histories of people who have existed or other arcane subjects, because they could actually be as valuable as some book on like the, you know, you know, I don't know, the the seven habits of effective, you know, leaders or something like that. Do you know that website, Atlas Obscura? Yeah. They started out as like really like they were that was my jam when they started out before before they kind of had to turn it into a content generator. But they still, to this day, have some interesting stuff. Like where you know you could you could read about like really bizarre little things you know in some corner of Italy mm-hmm. or something. Um, I find a lot of value in that, and it's and it's it it's not it's it's almost because none of it has any application in you know in in capitalist endeavors. And 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 why does that matter? Because it reminds me that we ex- our value as humans are is not related. And the value of our experience is not related to how much we can generate in terms of profits or or productivity. Mm-hmm. It's like sometimes an amazing view is an amazing view, you know, or 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 a really good piece of bread is a really good piece of bread. Mm-hmm. You know? And and so I I don't want to judge it on all these external terms that have been handed to us.
0: Having those things I think is really important. Uh having those things that we explore just the explorer because you want to, I mean, that's right. really it. Like just trust yourself that you, that your, that your, your brain is an exquisite
1: tool. And if it <laughs> wants to research, you know, I mean, I once met a, a woman, she was a PhD uh, graduate at the U and her, and, and she studied, you know, microbiology and her favorite thing in the world to talk about was herpes. She was fascinated by her, you know, but as a microorganism, she was like, it's the most successful you know, it's like the most successful bacterium in the world, or whatever. It was really interesting. You know, she was so turned on by this field of study because it, it for her, it was like endless. Mm-hmm. It was endless, like things to explore. Now, who knows what she could uncover? Maybe in the end, there's there will be a lot of utility in that. But in the meantime, um, she could go twenty years and really f- make no contributions, you know, to the field. But who knows, right? You, I, like that's why it's like I just don't think you can you can judge it or mm-hmm. prejudge it. You just kind of got to let people go. Let them do their thing. Yeah, which then applies to us, you know. So like don't be so hard on yourself. Um, indulge some things that seem impractical because they may be leading you somewhere else. That, like that might not be the thing, but there might be the next thing it leads to or the thing after that. And then all of a sudden you're in some really rich territory. Yeah. You know, so can we have a little faith in ourselves and, and how the human mind works mm-hmm. and indulge
0: that side? There's so much to learn from things that are not designed to be learned. I mean, yeah, part of we're designed talk- <sighs> to be instructive. <laughs> instructive. <laughs> the, yes, thank you. That's perfect. Like a, a big part of what you're talking about right now is why Amy and I des- decided to start this podcast because there's only so much you can say. You mm-hmm. can try to be concise, you can try to create value, make it beautiful in a 3 to 5 minute video on YouTube. That is the kind of a standard for what type of content is on YouTube. Yeah. But Again, it's like some of it starts to feel a little bit like a Cosmopolitan cover or a Men's Health magazine cover or an Entrepreneur magazine cover where it's like, here are the five ways that this happened for me. And it's like, yes, there are five things that I've sort of changed that have really helped me over the last six months in terms of getting healthier, doing this stuff. But but there's also just such deep – there's so much deeper context to that because, well – I was feeling better about myself because this happened, and so this is what allowed me to eat salads for breakfast every day. And yeah, so like, yes, it was the salad, but like, what was it that, right? And so these deeper conversations are really what I wanted to get into and and start exploring because you can't say everything in, in four minutes. Uh, you need an hour sometimes. You yeah, because it's an reductionist. You're yeah. we're trying to reduce. We're trying to reduce
1: complex things down to essences, and 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 there's fidelity lost, right? It's like compressing sound files. Mm-hmm. There's information lost when you compress. So, like to share to share music, we might use a, a compression format, you know, and give you an MP three. But when we're creating and when we're playing and experiencing, we're doing it in full fidelity.
0: Mm. <laughs> I used to buy Entrepreneur magazine whenever oh, yeah, I was sure. at the airport, just to have something to read. Mm-hmm. So I'd always pick up that magazine. I think I had a subscription at one point, so I'd get it every month. And I do just remember how it 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 does not make you... Like, it feels fun to read, and it's fun to be, maybe be seen reading it. Maybe yeah. this is a vulnerable moment for me. Like, I was maybe buying it to be seen reading it yeah, yeah. at the airport on the plane, so it started an interesting conversation because uh, I hadn't started shit at that point. <laughs> <Like> <laughs> I, you know, I, I hadn't... But these stories, the cover stories of people that were younger than I was at the time, you know, getting millions in funding or having the new start thing idea and, and, and you get deeper, you get older. And I look at this and I'm like, man, there's so much more to that story for every one of these. There's a thousand of the the people that not, it's just not working out, but like of people that are making impacts that are mm-hmm, doing mm-hmm. meaningful work, but aren't getting millions in funding and on the cover of entrepreneur magazine yeah. doing it. Like, there's so much more out there and having that just, it's like flipping through a, any old magazine, you know, it's, uh, you're just highlighting these few stories that make it feel like that's all there is.
1: Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's, I guess it's, it's really, it's like fashion mags, you know, it's just, it's creating uh, a sense of need and, and, you know, and, and want Um that comes out of, and it, you know, it's 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 um it's playing into any you know our maybe our natural senses of inadequacy, mm. um like you're not good enough, you're not you don't know enough, you're not ready, so you know. But these people are. Maybe it's easier when you get older to just go like, yeah, I don't have the energy for it. I just don't even have like the aptitude or the energy to like go and 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 play into that, mm. you know. So I, I so you know so maybe is is there a way to advocate for putting that stuff, you know, kind of like. Just say no, put it away, (laughs) release it. Like, just don't pay it too much heed, you know? Sure, Mm -hmm. if you can pick up a few good tidbits from a business book or, you know, or like, uh, what would be like? Well, I suppose uh, Fast Company is like, it's always classic. Um, they never revisit any of the, like, they always have those sunny articles, and they never go back and, and talk about, like, yeah, those people we covered two years ago, they're all dead now. You know, <laughs> like <right? it's>, uh, <laughs> yeah, their company blew up. and yeah, yeah, they never tell you the full story. So you just think it's like endless succession of people being more successful than you, mm-hmm. you know, by those standards of success. And never realizing that most of us are somewhere in the middle, and we all kind of deal with, we're all deeply flawed people dealing with insecurities and all that stuff, and uh, and now maybe that doesn't make good reading either. You know, I don't know. But I would just, it'd be nice to let, to help people let themselves off the hook a little bit. Mm-hmm. And this and go like, yeah, you know what? It's a struggle. Mm-hmm. It's going to be. And and that's really okay. We're like, we're all, we're all doing okay. And, and, and let's not get so hung up on what everybody else is doing. Yeah. And if you have some crazy itch, go scratch it.
0: So uh, this is, this is a question that comes up. Uh, we do for every interview. What does, what does creativity mean or look like to you
1: being creative is is following and you know is indulging in following things that occur to you as as interesting or or exciting or just something that you feel compelled to look into but but also like not being put off by what you've been told is the value of that thing like one like one of my little um i like to cook and one of my little obsessions in the category of cooking is spices i, I love going to like the indian market and and buying like you know a whole pound of cumin seeds <laughs> and then i grind them up and or then i mix them with other spices and 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 you know roast them and make garam masala and stuff like that now that seems like a little too much um and there's times when my wife will be like, "Yeah, you know, like the whole house stinks, like, like whatever," because um, I'm roasting chilies or something like that. But I get so much out of it, and I've and it's and I've discovered there's things, you know, stories and there's there's interesting aspects of all those elements that come into cooking, and I and I just I get more out of it, and it has no purpose beyond that. It's a creative, but that's part of a creative process of cooking, is like. You know, if you kind of want to amp it up in some area, go ahead, try it. So, so I, there's something. So, creativity for me, I guess, is is self indulgent in a good way, and it's and it's following things, it's following urges that 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 occur to you as being worthy, but regardless of what other people might say, what society says. Love it. Well, I, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Um What so what would you say like in this whole process you've been interviewing people and I and I like the fact that the people you interview are you know you're not you don't have moncas or titans of of this or that you know like you're bringing in people who who are up for you know some hearty conversations about real stuff what's been the biggest realization for you have after having done all this yeah because there's just something (laughs) you're like wow I've discovered a truth that I didn't know was out there
0: I can name a few. Okay. That's a great question. And I don't know that I've gotten a lot of questions on this podcast for, for me personally yet. So I appreciate that. Uh, first is that interviewing people is an incredibly difficult skill. Hmm. Some people are naturally good at it. I am not. Uh, and so very early on in the very first episode of season one, I was completely thrown off uh, In in understanding just how hard it was to sit down and have a directed conversation. Uh, I've been talking to people my whole life, (laughs) and it's very, very different. Uh, And so what you're hearing and seeing now, for anyone viewing and and listening, is a very different version of of me learning to, like, slow down a little bit, like, take a couple notes, think about where we want to go with things. And and so that was one of my learnings. Uh, Two everyone is a person in progress mm-hmm. everyone uh, whether they have something massive they're making uh, an amount of money with a lot of zeros behind it or just a couple yeah um, everyone is a person in progress and um, we hit on this a little bit in that that it still feels hard uh there's this quote that's a little cheesy but but I keep seeing it and I think it's really true is that we don't try to grow so that we can have an easy life. It's so that we can take on bigger and bigger challenges with ease. Um, maybe not even with ease, but that we can, <laughs> we can toughen ourselves to the challenges of life. Mm-hmm. And that is a theme that, that I keep seeing in, in guests through personal growth, through the things they're working on, uh, whether it be nutrition, nutrition, uh, you know, talking about moderation and nutrition and, and looking at the balance of how... I noticed you didn't invite me to that podcast, so that's probably a good thing, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's... Uh, all these things are... are uh, more and more and more, I'm I'm finding that balance is the answer to so many of life's questions yeah. from my guests. Uh, how about acceptance? Acceptance. Yeah. Self-acceptance. Right, right. And, uh, and then third, probably the people that I... I feel this energy from is the, the true, true sense of knowing thyself, mm. uh, that, that what helps people get to a place where they're comfortable with themselves, where they, uh, know what they need to do and how they interact with the world are the people that, that deeply know themselves, Yeah, their shortcomings, their strengths, the things that they can do well and cannot do well, which is just another way to say shortcomings and strengths. But, but, um, those are the things that I felt, like, have been my deepest learnings of, like, knowing yourself is one of the strongest things you can do.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and, and it's – and I think it's really okay if you don't – if you aren't there yet. Because mm-hmm. I think oh, yeah. that's one of the gifts of age is that you, um, you've you come to accept kind of what your OS is, you know. And, and it turns out it's very different than other people's, you know what I mean? Like, you just – and And even like long time, like a long time in a marriage, for instance, will teach you that like you're not going to change that other person. Like there is some set ways that we all have and And so when you're younger and you don't know that yet, you you do try to fake it sometimes and like take on roles that you're really not well suited for. like I try I've had jobs in the past where I was actually managing details about things. And anybody who knows me would say, like, that's the worst thing you could have this guy do, yeah, because he does not manage details for shit. And and now I have the impatience to to like, if somebody suggested that I should do something like that, be nope, nope, I'm not your guy. I will hate it. You will hate the results, and I can say it in a heartbeat. Where I was younger, I would be like, okay, yeah, sure, I'll I'll do that. I'll take that. I'll I'll. You know, I'd, I'd be good at that, and I applied for jobs that like I was so unqualified for because I didn't know who I was. So, anyways, it's just it's great, it's awesome that like as you get older, you you just don't even have the patience to try or in, to fake it, and you're just mm-hmm. like, you know, you're willing to you're willing to call yourself out, you know, on your shortcomings like in a heartbeat because it's so much easier to play to your uh, to play to your strengths than to try to make make up for your deficiencies you know Mm. and and that's one thing like with with um we had some members at at coco years ago who were um strength finder coaches and their whole thing was like yeah you know traditional management is like to get everybody to equalize you know like to not do too much with their strengths but to try to fill in all their weaknesses well that just makes you equally unhappy across the board you know and so so now, so the other way is to go like no, let's not make you fake it or or phone it in on your on your weaknesses and trying to bolster those. Let's just play to your strengths and be done with it. I'm like, yes, that's that's that sounds
0: perfect. My whole life, I've I've tried to focus on shortcomings, uh, on the things I'm not good at, and right. trying to figure out how to bring those up to speed. And I do believe in an element of balance with this stuff, of mm-hmm. well-roundedness. That you, you gotta. There's an element of like you you got to bring some of the things up to a, a a certain level. Yeah, yeah. But that being said, like we do, there, there's so much opportunity in focusing on our strengths, knowing who we are, what we do, and what we don't do well. I mean, I'm in the same boat. I I the the details down here, my head's up here, and uh and I'm right here right now. Right. Like I'm nowhere else. I'm just right here. And so that is great for a lot of reasons and terrible for a lot of reasons, and uh, I can rely heavily on the great ones most of the time that that allow me to be here, be present, just be worried about this moment, not what's going to happen a month from now, um, that that make it work. And, yeah. Um, but there's always growth. There's always opportunities to to continue growing and and figuring out how to balance this stuff out.
1: Yeah, and there's you know. some humility too that that helps. Like um, I, I'm reminded, you know um, in my home life that, uh, there's a bunch of things that I don't do well. And that doesn't, and, and I know that they're not my strengths. Um, it doesn't mean that I get to ignore them completely and just be like, be a jerk mm-hmm. be like, yeah, well, I, I don't like doing the dishes, so I'm not going to do them. You know, like, you don't get to do that, you know? So, so there's, there's stuff to work on because you just need to be, um, a decent human being to your loved ones, you know, mm-hmm. and the people around you. Um, So, yeah, it's like there's some things that you fill in because you're just you you need to get along with other people. But don't take on something that's just so antithetical. And Maybe this is more in in your kind of career pursuits to take on something that's antithetical to your being, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, like like you're saying you love big ideas. And so you're working with big ideas. That's a that's a winning combination. Um, I just I'm not going to ask you to do my accounting. Yeah. You know, and you don't soon. you don't yeah. wanna. Yeah, and
0: you should say no, right? There <laughs> shouldn't be create. well, when you get into creative accounting, that's when you get into trouble. Oh, Yeah, <laughs> there you go. and you don't want you don't want a That'd creative be, person, yeah. you know. Unless you're trying to hide something, you don't want a creative person doing your taxes. <laughs> you know. So um that's great. Well, let's uh let's grab a The magical question. Yeah. Um, All right, here it is. And uh These are questions that have been submitted by previous guests. We'll have you leave a question as well. Really? Pull one that that looks good to you, and and if you don't mind reading it, uh, yeah, sure, so that we can we can hear it.
1: Okay, so this one is: Do you have any scars, and if so, what's the story behind them? If not, what's the worst you have been injured? Who? Do you want? Should I say who? Yeah, who, you could say did who. You read it, Matt Bray.
0: Oh, so that was Project that was Wormley. that was another uh, guest. So Matt Matt is a, a YouTuber. He's a younger guy, uh, and he is the guy that does the dance videos. Oh yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so th- I'm fascinated by that question because he was very excited to leave that question, but I didn't know what it was. Wow, that's so. great. Well, I, I, boy, I could go back. There's, so there's,
1: there's two things that I would consider scars for me, um, that that probably explain some of my drives. And of course, you know, since everything, there's two sides to every coin. So a lot of a lot of your 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 motivations or your drives are also on the flip side. You know, you're running towards something, you may also be running from something. So when I was in, um, when I was in middle school, grade school, I don't remember so much, but middle school, I was kind of like the, I was like the picked on kid, mm. you know, because I was just, I, I, I was not looking great at that time. I mean, like, as far as, you know, I, I was, I was not, I wouldn't say I was an attractive kid. Um, and and I probably didn't dress the part. Uh, my parents didn't have a lot of money. So I didn't, I wasn't really like, you know, I didn't have a great wardrobe to pick from. I had a tracksuit my mom made for me, um, mm-hmm. some sweaters she knit for me. So, I you know, so I just was not a popular kid. But even further, I, I seemed to, there's something about me seemed to almost like, you know, invite ridicule. So I think that was a scar for me. And I think um, later on in high school, I was involved at a summer camp um, where I just met a whole bunch of people who didn't have any historical background with me and I was popular there which was really kind of like a refreshing mm-hmm. change a whole bunch of people thought I was the shiz um and then that and then that seemed to set me up like i i think i gained a lot of confidence through that and by the time i got to college i was i was doing pretty good but i think uh what that really reinforced in me is a desire to be liked hmm. which can be fine i can that can be great a great motivator for doing lots of things but also on the other hand too then you 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 it can warp you you know because you're, then you're always trying to be liked, and you don't you you don't have as much of a backbone as you need in some situations. So I think so that was one thing. Uh, the other one, which kind of comes from a similar place, is uh, is like I said, my parents didn't have a lot of money. My dad uh, was laid off. He worked for U.S. Steel, selling structural I beams to Latin America. Great job until he got laid off, and when the steel industry had a big slump, and I think there was like an economic recession. So from that point forward, he was always kind of chronically underemployed. Hmm. Um, and it was a source of embarrassment for me when I was a kid because I didn't... You know, how kids don't understand. This is the thing. Kids don't understand that their parents are humans until until they themselves are probably into their 30s, you know, or at least late. But while they have teen brain, they, they're they very self-centered and they don't realize that their parents are, are humans who struggle. And I don't think I realized that about my dad until much later. And then after he died, I mean, I definitely, you know, his memory was gilded, but, but I, but I gained a lot of sympathy for, for how he, you know, what he went through, um, in trying to keep the family afloat. But for me, as I was experiencing it, you know, in like in high school was like, I had two shirts that I liked. And, and if I wanted to get more, my dad would be like, "No, there's no income. There's no outgo. And my mom would like slip me, you know, a little bill on the side here, go get something, you know, but so my relationship with money and scarcity and, and, and what I, it felt like poverty to me, but that's all relative, um, but my relationship with with money was, I've actually been overly self indulgent with money. In other words, not really taking good care of like my financial health, mm. um, because that would be scarcity, and I don't want I don't want to live in scarcity because I tried that and it was not a lot of fun, and it had a lot, and it, you know, and in and, and at that young impressionable age, that scarcity, you know, kind of got wrapped up in my identity and. And so I think I've been, you know, running from that ever since. So that was great. That's made me very ambitious entrepreneurially, but um, it, it still hasn't, you know, I still haven't really learned. You know, I'm, I'm now dependent on a wife who's like a heck of a money manager. Um, and it feels great that she's taking care of that because I get too much anxiety around it. Now, should I cure that someday? I don't know. Maybe before I die, mm-hmm. maybe I, I'll need to. But for now, I'm kind of like I'm happy that I have somebody else who's really, you know, given me security in that area of mm-hmm. like watching over those things. Yeah. You know, but I've done a lot of dumb things and you know, until then. So, all right. So what was that? Do I have any scars? Yeah. So
0: popularity and, and, and relative poverty. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, that was, that was a great Great answer. A good question. Personal one. Oh, that was a good question. Man, I'm impressed. It's Does this funny. go
1: back into the bin? No, it stays out. Now it's burnt. Oh it's wow! Well, I hope. I hope. Uh, I hope it was worthy. You know, oh, the yeah, answer was worthy good. of the question. <laughs> that's great.
0: <laughs> I had a different childhood experience, but uh, a similar outcome hmm. uh, with money. It's weird uh, how I let go of it freely. I give it freely. I don't know. I have a weird relationship with it. Uh, I think it's part of the break the Twitch story for me hmm. of just. Twenty bucks, okay, whatever. It's just twenty bucks, thirty yeah. bucks, whatever. It's just it, I didn't I w- I didn't want it to let it be something that I that controlled me or yeah that owned you yeah yeah that sort of it led to a similar thing and I'm lucky that in a lot of ways Amy is more conservative yeah uh, financially and and is uh, helped provide some the bumper rails on the bowling alley you yeah know, um, to to even that out but um, and then my work here is a lot of my own personal growth stuff with learning about like, why am I, why is, why am I like how I am? (laughs) You know, like it's, uh, it's interesting, uh, diving into this stuff and, uh, having conversations with friends who are other entrepreneurs that have an incredible drive to entrepreneurship and making high amounts of money, uh, and then learning about narrative of, of this stuff. It's, (laughs) it's fascinating. Learning the, the, well, you know, it's interesting. Um, we had a, we had a
1: big with my previous business, which, which kind of was a, it was like a slow motion failure. Um, So we ultimately dissolved that. It was, it ran like 10 years and we ultimately dissolved it. But um, there were some stretches where like we were so strapped. And I remember that uh, me and my two partners were, were staring, we were staring at bankruptcy. And what what the reason was is because if we had all these obligations with the business and, and it turns out there were obligations we shouldn't have ever taken on. Um, like like a rent and phone systems and then the server and then the T one line all that stuff that you had to have if you had the 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 phone system and and so we had all these obligations and if one if one of the members if one of the partners pulled out and said I can't do this then we would all it would be a domino effect because none of us would you know the the debt would the debt and the obligation would go to the next two partners and then if one of them fails basically it, it, either all three of us stayed in or or we all failed at once. And we, d- we decided to stick it out. But that what that meant then was a whole bunch of years of recovering from that. And and so it, w- it was even through an economic boom time, we were still strapped. And I remember my ex-wife, she she at that time was working with um, a lot of uh, Karin families who were here from, you know, the Karin is an ethnic group uh, mm. in Burma, but they've been driven out of the country, a lot of them by the Burmese army. And... They ended up in camps in Thailand and got sponsored. And now we have one of the biggest Karen populations in the United States here in Minnesota. And a lot of them were—they um, came over here and they had personal stories that were like something out of the Holocaust. Really terrible stuff. I mean, just extreme, extreme personal violence that that, that people have witnessed done to their families and deprivation and horrible stuff. But what was interesting, my ex would say that. The reason she loved those families, and to this day, that's her favorite group to work with, because she said, they don't seem to harbor any resentment. Mm -hmm. Like, she says, I haven't met one who says, like, yeah, I want to go back and kill the Burmese. When we, like, couldn't make our mortgage and our credit rating started getting tanked and all sorts of stuff, she'd be like, you know what? We're fine. We don't have the Burmese army chasing us through the jungle trying to kill us at night. She says, we're good. Uh, I remember once there was a time I was going to see a client and... And for my other business, and I didn't have any money in the bank to pay my the parking ramp fee. Sure, I had a client. We were going to charge him 150 bucks an hour, you know, as a business. But at that moment, in my personal bank account, despite I'm going to, to get this business, and eventually we will bill for that, and maybe some of that will trickle down to me. But I couldn't even get out of the parking ramp. So I had to call her and go, what do I do? And she's like, okay, I think I I think I can, like, slither some money over into this account, and then you can get out. It was just one of those things, that I, and, and it was uh, – and I remember thinking, like, I'm smart. I know I'm smart. I know I'm I'm skilled at what I do, but yet this is happening to me, and I can't figure out why. It was like it was like hmm. th- like the dysmorphia or whatever you would call it, or like the, the cognitive dissonance between like I'm a clever person and I'm smart and I have a lot to contribute, but yet it's not equating to like I have this this other situation with my finances that tells me I'm an idiot and I'm like failing and. And, and reckoning the two is really hard. I, and I probably did for five years straight of trying to, like, balance that. But her words were really helpful. Like, I really, that helped for me to go, like, you know what? It could be so much worse. So, like, just, you know, get through it. Yeah. Get through it. Because, because you know, how lucky are we that, like, we get to talk about this stuff, you know? Um, and so that's, I, I don't want to be, like, the, you know, be grateful because there's, starving kids in Africa kind of thing, that, right. that old stuff that people would say when I was growing up. Um, but yet, a certain amount of, like, gratitude and humility is, is okay. And, and yeah, you may be brilliant, and you may have a really brilliant idea or something like that, and you may also be poor right now. That's, that's, a, that's a big thing to, to, to kind of grapple
0: with. Yeah. To have a model that works, to have a, something that's a seemingly good idea... But to have it not be in a place that can actually yeah. Yeah. allow you to continue doing it, yeah, yeah, that's a that's a thing.
1: So I don't know. If that's like you know if that if that points to, to the need for perseverance, you know, or like the, to really cultivate that in yourself, mm-hmm. um, or to to find other people who also struggle, but yet in spite of you know being talented or whatever, you know, what I mean, like I, I I think during that time I I actually found a lot of solace in – and hanging out with people who are also, for whatever reason, on the margins, because it just reminded me that, like, well, because what well, the opposite would be if if I'm sitting here struggling and then I go hang out with people who are materially successful, well, that's gonna drive me crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll be like, well, what's wrong with me? Why are they so good at this?
0: There's an interesting balance to that. I found energy. I found that I'm energized by other people that are doing a thing. Um, I was thrown into a situation at one point with nine other guys that were all successful bloggers and internet mm. entrepreneurs, like successful, successful. Yeah. And I had just started Break the Twitch basically. And I and being in that environment made me feel a lot of things. Yeah. But one of the things was, was uh, of course I can do this. Like all these guys are doing it. <laughs> 90% of the people here are doing it successfully. I am the 10% that hasn't yet. So of course it's possible. Yeah, everyone in this room is doing it. When you step out back into the normal world, then you realize that that's not. This is a group of people that have worked hard to make this thing happen and have done it well through some luck and hard work and all this yeah, other stuff. Yeah. But, but uh, then there. But then there's the other side of like, well, what am I doing wrong? If I'm the one in this room that's not there yet, what what? It, you know, yeah, yeah, What what haven't I done right yet? Uh, and so there's all kinds of stuff to feel around. Well, maybe
1: that, uh, there's a, uh, yeah, it, there's definitely a balance here, and then maybe that's one reason why, uh, you know, like I eschew the the success porn because because it's all it's all that survivor bias, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sure if you if I take these if I take the peak of the iceberg, all these people have been successful, and that's and all I tell you about is like their successes. You know, um, what you don't read about is all you know. You don't learn about all the all the struggles and the sidesteps and the, you know, um, whereas if you read a history, mm-hmm. if you read like, you know, uh, about people in the past who've done things, you might get more of the more you might get more of the fiber and not just the sugar, you know, like mm-hmm. you, like you'd find out that like, oh yeah, actually most of these overnight successes took twenty years yeah. and people had some serious setbacks or whatever. It's just it's a little more balanced view and you realize that like if you're struggling, you're not alone. Yeah. You're actually in you're in the greatest company. You're in great company. Right. And and, yeah. and I think that I take some solace in that because I otherwise I'm like, oh great, I'm never gonna
0: this is never gonna work, you know? And 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 that's defeating. Yeah, there have to be some examples of it working, maybe to 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 be able to be like, I'm not crazy here.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's possible but... to to pull something off, but also understand that like a lot of what you read about are 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 Hard work plus good luck stories. Yeah. You've got the hard work part, but you might not have the good luck. Mm-hmm. You know, the random, the random meeting of so and so that suddenly changed your life. Well, what can you learn from that? Mm-hmm. Be in places where you can have random meetings yeah. with, with you know, successful be- or with, with, generous benefactors. I mean, right. I so there's not much instructive. Uh, I, I think about a lot of success stories.
0: I mean, I can point to those even with where Break the Twitch is. Yeah. As a blog, as a YouTube channel, things like that. Uh, I can point to specific people that I met. Jo- yeah. Joshua Becker of the blog Becoming Minimalist. Met him early on. He was super encouraging, kind, generous, and, and helped me. When I launched my blog and installed Google Analytics, I, I have never gotten less than 50 people a day from the day I installed analytics. And it was pretty soon after actually starting the blog. Now, I would started blogs in the past where I get zero mm-hmm. for a long time. But the fact that Joshua had happened to share one of my early articles, I figured a couple of weeks in, I should probably install analytics, get a sense of where it's going. And I've never had less than 50 a day from the very first day. And that was 40 years ago. And, and that, I know <laughs> that... A lot of the success that we've seen here of of the reach of the wonderful people we've been able to interview and yeah. do all these things have started because I got lucky and met a wonderful dude that seemed to think I had something to share. And so he did. He helped me share it. And and uh, so, yeah, I, I, it's never just pull your bootstraps up. Yeah. You know, and you know what I heard in that story? was like, how cool would it be to
1: be a guy like Joshua Becker and be like, you get to go and spread good luck. Like, you could you could choose to be the person who goes around and, like, what a privilege that would be. Like, if you could use that, use your position to go and, like, give other people that little touch that gets mm-hmm. them going. Like, that's that's kind of neat. Isn't it? Yeah. Maybe that, boy.
0: Yeah. So, okay, maybe that's my recipe for, for my next 50 years. Well, I mean, I could even just point out the fact that there are successful companies that started as nothing in your spaces, in, in the environment that you helped create. Uh, that have grown over the years and some eventually move on and buy office buildings that are big yeah, and whatever. Yeah. That's kind of the natural progression of just being a huge company eventually. But uh, I would say in a lot of ways you did. You have done that. Uh, and and you very much have been doing that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I feel lucky that there's there are some instances of
1: people who like met, you know, at the coffee bar and then were off to the races because they bumped into they bumped into their other half and then they started something or or it was the inflection point that's yeah there's some there's some good stuff like that and it's that's nice i like that 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 i get to take with me it's Mm -hmm. like all right that this weird little space we created actually you know was the right thing for a bunch of people Mm -hmm. um yeah that's cool
0: don so where can people find you your work where can they find you online
1: Boy, they can't find much of my work. I mean, other than like the the blog posts I'm writing for for Field Collective. But so the business is Fueled Collective, um, and the 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 URL is fueledcollectivemn.com. Um, I don't have a personal site of any of, of, of any nature, but I, I might correct that one of these days and start producing thought pieces. Oh, of course, Twitter too. Don M Ball. Don Pilota. Yeah. <laughs>
0: it took me. I think, two years? I speak Spanish pretty well. Yeah. It took me two years to lock in what the... (laughs) Don Peloto was, <laughs> was like, you idiot! Like, how could you not realize that? Oh my God, that was one of those moments where I was like, "You are so dense!" God, oh man. Okay, well, Don, thanks so much for for coming on the podcast. It was it was truly a, a joy to have you and have this conversation. Oh. I feel like we could have gone for four hours. So
1: yeah, I just kind of suspect that. Well, thank you for indulging me and uh, and letting me rant and rave. I appreciate
0: it. Mm-hmm. All right. And that concludes my conversation with Don. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, please do take a moment to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I would greatly appreciate it. And if you enjoy the episode as well, please do share it with a friend or on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever social media network you may prefer. But I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week and I'll see you soon.